Hello and welcome to Eden Exchanges, the business journey podcast by Eden Exchange. My name is Brianna and I am a marketing specialist here at Eden Exchange. On today's episode, myself and our founder and CEO, Raghu Rajakuma, spoke with Ben Letellian, who is the founder and CEO of FranchiseWell. Listen as Ben provides us with an update of his journey with FranchiseWell, whilst providing us with deep insights on the global franchise industry, touching on some of the emerging trends that are driving the sector. He addresses the key challenges franchisors are facing in today's market and discusses the importance of having an exit strategy. Listen on to discover more. Welcome everyone, my name is Raghu from Eden Exchange. Today our special guest is Dr. Ben Latalian, who's the Director of Franchise Well, a franchise expert with expertise and insight across the sector in America and around the world. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Ben. Ah, it's my pleasure. Now, firstly, look, it was the second time you were on today, so appreciate having you back. Can you again, for a reminder, start us by providing us with an update on your journey with Franchise Well since you spoke to us, and how is the franchise industry progressing in 2023? Any major trends you're seeing? Well, certainly there is a lot going on. I think we are officially post-COVID now, kind of wondering and with lingering effects from it across the business world and otherwise affecting consumer behavior, psyche. It certainly accelerated what was likely going to occur anyway in the technology side, for example, in restaurants with delivery, home services. Once everybody had to move to staying home, things had to change and technology took on a a new role. So you're seeing now in the food service sector, of course, is a dramatic shift towards off-premises and off-prem, you know, is defined a, a few different ways, but you know, think about brands and how they're adjusting. You see McDonald's amping up their drive-through to increase the throughput. So for example, having a traditional drive-through lane and then now adding a pickup only lane. Consumers are interacting through their phones on apps and otherwise to order food, have food ready. And it's becoming so sophisticated that one of the concepts I work with, Daddy's Chicken Shack, is a fast, casual food service concept. Celebrity chef, really gourmet chicken sandwiches. But people want to order on their phone and then come pick it up. And and so we have pickup lane. No, nobody there with a speaker, no menu board. And so not only do consumers go through and pick up food in 15 seconds, all of the delivery apps. So if you order on Grubhub or Uber Eats or Postmates or whatever, the drivers are going through, they're picking up the orders as well. So they're not having to get out of their car and tie up our dining room area waiting for orders to be picked up. So a lot of shifting going on. Chipotle has now introduced Chipotle lanes they're going to be doing a hundred of those, they say this year. And these are pickup lane only, because if you know Chipotle, you can't make the product, you know, in advance. People want what they want in it and, and they want it made the way they want. And it's made fresh to order. But to be able to do that on your phone or website or even calling in and then 
be directed through the pickup lane. It's just a game changer and it's what the consumers are looking for. So that's a big shift that's taking place in franchising. One of the challenges of that though, is that many of the brands that are more mature have very uh, strong legacy platforms. And if you've ever been, been a franchisee or a franchisor, you know that, that when you have to make a significant change to your technology, nobody's happy. Franchisees are like have to learn new technology, learn new systems. It's happening very slow in many brands that are franchised because franchisees are very resistant sometimes to these transformations. Think about a franchisee who's very successful. Why do I want to make this change, right? Or think about a franchisee who's new and has already put in everything you told them they had to have, and now you're changing it. So it's very disruptive, and I think that franchising is lagging Chipotle and others who are moving faster through corporate will than trying to share the business case with the franchisees to get them to move. So I think that's one of the big things that we're seeing out there. We're also seeing this continued proliferation of new franchise brands coming into the market. You know, my friends at Fran Data share periodically the stats in the industry and you know, three to 400 new brands coming online last year, just you know, in the US and certainly abroad, we're seeing more and more brands. We're also seeing brands that have done well outside the U.S. really come into the U.S. and start to make a footprint like Jollibee. They're having really strong acceptance when they're opening. There's lines around the building, kind of like In-N-Out Burger used to have when they opened in a new place. So definitely seeing that. I will also say one of the things we expected to see because of COVID was a lot of availability for good retail sites. But in fact, there is a big struggle taking place across many brands that are looking for good locations because they're just not there. Whether it was stimulus, whether it's landlords working with the business, but we have not seen this glut of commercial retail that everybody was expecting. So we're seeing rents are still high and, and increasing and availability of great sites, very challenging. So there's, there's a few things there that I think we're really seeing as we're going into 2022 in the franchise realm. And that's right. Now, with 23 ahead of us, these trends are pretty pointed, what you've highlighted. Are you seeing these trends affecting different sectors and regions across the United States differently? I know it's a vast question to ask, but any key disparities you're seeing there? Yeah, of course, in the food service space, you've got you know, all this technology driven by consumer preference really causing the most disruption. You know, that certainly isn't affecting many of the other industries in the same way, but also kind of as a double whammy, you've got the, the you know, tightening up and limited inventory for good locations, which, you know, again, makes it much more challenging for newer brands who are, don't have the scale to come into the market and get a landlord's attention and get a good location when there's bigger, better brands, if you will, more well-known that are out there aggressively growing. So definitely food service, I think, is experiencing the most. And then you add a third element there, and that is 
the low unemployment and limited either availability of workers or interest by people in working, you know, the, the labor side of the equation is still very challenging and doesn't seem to be dissipating. Uh, other sectors in franchising where we're seeing significant growth, early childhood education, and whether it's, you know, a statement, if you will, on the U.S. education system or not, I won't say, but there seems to be a significant growth in desiring good education at earlier ages now for kids. And so from what I'm seeing, families are willing to spend a disproportionate amount of their discretionary income to have their kids give them a better foundation educationally and environmentally as they head into, you know, school age. And you got, you know, dual parents, if you will, and that kind of thing. You know, they're not just dropping their kids off at some daycare somewhere. They're putting them in significant schools that are not inexpensive. And so we've seen some new brands coming on the scene. We've seen continued growth with the incumbents, a lot of activity there. I think the entertainment area uh, is seeing some really interesting activity. If you've heard of pickleball, it's an incredible rage in the U.S. right now. It's new groups coming out almost every day launching into pickleball and from different aspects. But, you know, it's a game that anybody at any age can play and have fun. And we haven't seen something like this since racquetball hit the States, you know, decades ago. And so there's a lot of fever and excitement around pickleball. And there are some celebrities getting involved, you know, Tom Brady and others. So, uh, yeah, I think the, you know, top golf was kind of a, a start, you know, sky zones and others. And matter of fact, the sky zone guys are now doing a pickleball franchise. And so there's a lot of what I see is, is, experiential franchising. People want an experience. I used to say, if they want a transaction, they want to do it on their phone. But if they want an experience, they're going to come somewhere and they want to be with people and they want to do something. So I see uh, a lot of potential and opportunity in that regard as well. So Ben, you mentioned that technology and experiences within franchising systems are becoming more popular. When there are changes in the market, how do franchisors best go about adapting their franchise system accordingly? That is a, a great question. <laughs> it's a bit of a pet peeve, I guess I'd say on my end, but you know, the communication structures that have been resident within franchising really have lagged society. And and what I mean by that is you know, when franchising was booming in the 60s, 70s, 80s, a lot of growth, it was a very homogenous environment. Oftentimes characteristic, uh, say, it was middle-aged white guys selling franchises, middle-aged white guys. I mean, it was it was not very integrated. And, and yet what we've seen since, you know, from the 90s on is this tremendous diversification within franchising with women in leadership roles in franchising, running franchise companies, you know, Catherine Monson and lots of others, the proliferation of people enjoying franchise ownership, you know, has grown significantly across virtually every socioeconomic marker you want to, you know, make, right? Whether it's, you know, age or ethnicity, you know, et cetera, 
when you look at most franchise systems today, they are highly diverse environments. Unfortunately, the communication strategies being used came from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They're very autocratic, very top-down, and I would venture to say almost demeaning to the people who actually own and operate the franchises. Instead of being communicated with by partners and co-builders of this business and the brand, they're almost communicated to like employees. It's a bit disappointing from my perspective as a consultant and an educator when I run into situations where a franchisor is struggling and I, I don't peel back the onion very far and I certainly almost always find that they have a very outdated communication strategy. I, I hesitate to use the word strategy because most of them don't even have a communication strategy. They're just doing whatever it is they've done. And so when you look at some of the work done at MIT on network theory, it really lays out a communication strategy for a highly diverse environment. So that's one of the things that I help clients with and teach. So when you talk about COVID, you talk about disruptions, you talk about technology, it all has to do with how good the communication structure and strategy is within the organization. Because franchisees deserve the business case. You know, instead of being told, we're changing our point of sale system and you have till Thursday to implement the new one, it's here's the business case. This is why. Here's the evidence. Here's the research. Here's what it's telling us. And this is why we need to make these changes. That's what franchisees really want. And that's what they desire is to be a be along for the, the strategy, not just told kind of what to do. So I think that the systems that have developed good communication strategies are seeing much more rapid implementation of the changes and much better results. And Ben, how do you recommend franchisors and franchisees address this communication issue? Yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, it starts with recognizing we need a strategy to communicate in a highly diverse environment. You don't just send an email out to the network and expect that everyone is going to interpret it and act upon it the same way. Again, within a franchise system, you've got notionally three major groups, four probably. You have those that are just starting, right? They've been in the system one day to one year, you know, and, and they're in a whole different mindset and need. And the way that you communicate with them is different or should be than your franchisees who are maybe in their years two to whatever, where they're in growth, right? They've made it through the opening and they've got past their break even. Now they're starting to really grow, right? And that up, that up line, that trend line is moving nicely. Well, the communication that they need and want is different than those who are in the early stage. There's also those who have been in the system maybe three plus years who are at a high level, right? They've made it. They're, they're getting a good return on their investment. They're profitable. They're making money. And they're riding that wave, if you will. Those three groups need strategies of how to communicate because the, the first group is drinking out of a fire hose. They're probably doing something never done before. They're learning as fast as they can. They're hiring, training, managing people. They're trying to get to know the customers. They're trying to get into a business rhythm and grow, right? Very different than when you are in growth mode or when you're in maturity. And then there's a fourth group that's either 
in decline. They've made it to maturity, but they're now declining or maybe they're reinvesting and growing again, starting that curve again. So it starts with one, what is our strategy? We need to have a communication strategy. Two, understanding that your franchisees are not some homogenous group. They are highly diverse and they're at different stages. And some people are visual learners. Some are cerebral, right? How many type A do you have in your system? How many type B? All of these things determine how we need to be communicated with and how we're going to respond. And so I think that there's, there's just, it's a very complex matter that is taken very superficially all too often. So starts with identifying we need a strategy. It then also requires that we understand we have highly diverse environment and we have franchisees at different stages. And then it has to be open and transparent. We need to engage with franchisees and talk about these communication strategies. You know, the use of video, much more important than it's ever been. You know, a carefully articulated video from a franchisor can go a lot farther than an email that can be misinterpreted, misread, et cetera. And, and some things should be delivered face to face. You know, the, the franchise support team plays a incredibly important role, right? They have one foot at corporate, one foot with the franchisee. There's a lot of information that they should be conveying directly to the franchisee. So there's no one size fits all in franchising and communication is one of those areas that's very complex, but just not often given enough time and, and effort to do right. Now on the flip side, Dr. Ben, can you provide any general insights for individuals considering franchising their business? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people, as you can imagine, uh, <laughs> get referred to me. Hey, my brother-in-law is thinking about buying a franchise and can you talk, you know, help them. So anybody that's thinking about buying a franchise and looking into franchise and becoming a franchisee, there's a few things that I would certainly share with them. One is you got to decide, am I an owner operator or am I an investor, right? If, if you've never been in the restaurant business and you've never worked a kitchen, chances are you going out and buying a franchise in the restaurant business is going to be challenging. It's a hard business, but a very rewarding one. And people that are in it, they love it. They look forward to it. They enjoy it. But, you know, saying, I love food, so I'm going to buy a franchise that is food. You might be able to do that, but you're probably going to be an investor. And what that means is you're going to have to hire somebody to run that location. You might use your sphere of influence and your capital, and, and you might be the the host, if you will, uh, making it known in your community, marketing and everything else, but running it might not be the best choice. So you have to decide, am I going to be an investor and own this, or am I going to be an operator? Because if you're going to be an operator, make sure you have the skills to be successful, right? If, if the franchise that you're looking at to be successful, you've got to hire, train and manage people, but you've never hired, trained, managed people, that is a recipe for disaster. And it, it, it's disappointing how many franchise companies will sell a franchise to someone who's never hired, trained, or managed anybody in their life, 
And yet to be successful with this franchise, you've got to do that. That's just not a good fit. So I think those are a couple of things to think about. I'd say the third is be very clear on what your exit strategy is going to be. Buying a franchise may be you know, a life-altering opportunity for you, maybe the exact right thing to do. But think about what is the the end look like? And one of the benefits of buying a franchise is most often you'll have better liquidity opportunities than with a non-franchise. Just statistically, if you have a franchise business, your ability to sell that and at a higher value is far greater than if it's a non-franchise business. That is one of the premier reasons to consider buying, becoming a franchisee. So think about that exit strategy. And is this something my family would be interested in that I might be able to pass on to them, that my kids could join me in this work, if you will, and I could you know, pass it down to them? That is a great plan. Unfortunately, for the UPS store in the U.S., you know, they've got an average age of like, it's, it's way up in the 50s, maybe late 50s of their average franchisee. Very mature brand with very mature franchisees who are aging out. And unfortunately, they don't have a lot of kids that grew up in the business or want to take it over. And I know this from having conversations with them, et cetera. And so thinking in terms of what is my exit strategy going to look like? Multiple units, you know, can I make enough money from this franchise in order to reinvest and open another location? What would it be like if I had three locations? Are all good things to think about. But the beauty of franchising is there are so many options out there. It's likely most people can find the right fit for their goals, their capital budget, and their skill set. Absolutely. And what you touched on is something we're quite proud of. Even in terms of the sellability possibility or exit capacity of a franchise, a system on its own. And when you're entering that system, it's often something people just don't think about. Either when the franchise is being set up, if you've got a long-term plan of getting franchisees in who want to change their life, then exit after an appropriate amount of time. And secondly, if you're looking at a system, are you actually thinking ahead of seeing you can grow this, thrive from it, leverage off the system and then exit? There are actually a small amount of people who think of that. So through all your work at University of Maryland and Georgetown and Franchise Well, how do you really measure the success of a franchise system? And how do you see people looking at that exit plan now? Do you think that's changing? Because you'll be in the midst of all of the people who are both setting up businesses, franchises and buying them. Do you see that mindset permeating in the industry? Yeah, it's a it's a great point because you know my experience is most people don't think with the end in mind when they go into franchising. They they focus on you know finding a franchise that they want, getting the franchise deal done, getting it up and running and operating, and and not really thinking through kind of what the long term strategy might be. One of the ways that I recommend for folks to do this is interview a lot of franchisees. You know, when, you, when you're looking at a system that has a bunch of franchisees, I mean, if it's a huge system, and that's one thing, but most people, you know, they're, they're looking at systems maybe with 30 to 50 to 100 franchisees. And, you know, 
get on the phone and talk to franchisees and be disciplined about it. You know, when I when I've worked with friends who have done this, I help them put together a, a 10 questions, right? Because, you know, franchisees are busy. They're running their business. And if they take the time to visit with you, you know, you want to be respectful of that. So put together like a list of 10 questions. Did it cost you more or less to get open than what the FDD said, right? If the FDD said it's 250000 your initial investment, was it less than that? Did you do better or was it more, right? And when you ask 10 franchisees that question, you'll begin to get a feel for, this is probably going to cost me more or less, right? You're going to find out. How long did it take you to get to break even, right? Again, you ask 10 franchisees in, in any system and you'll start to get a feel for that. And what kind of profit margin are you having? I mean, now that you're You've been operating for you know three years or whatever. I mean, is it five percent? Is it twenty-five percent? I mean, what what could I expect? These are things that the franchisor typically isn't going to share, you know, unless they put it in their item nineteen disclosure, and many don't. But franchisees are absolutely free to share this kind of information. And so when you start talking with franchisees and start getting some real data about actual results, you can begin to paint a picture that says, wow, I think I'm going to make a hundred grand a year when I get to steady state. And uh, that's going to take me two years and it's a 10 year agreement. So I'm going to make about 800,000 on this. Wow. Am I going to be able to save that? Am I going to reinvest it? But again, if you don't go through that process of the 10 years, that you're investing and see what this will generate. How do you calculate a return on investment? Maybe you're better off putting your money, you know, in a CD, but if you're going to buy a franchise, it's an investment decision. Run that investment out based not on what the franchise or tells you, but on talking with franchisees about their actual results. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Man. It's been very insightful. I think we've just touched the source of your knowledge there in terms of the intricacies of the industry and also why clients actually reach out to you. But I think the education you're providing here is something we'd really love to expand on. And I think we'd even be looking to, to launch a series with you in terms of specific bits of information and knowledge that the market really could benefit from. So really appreciate your time today and, and we'd love to have you on in soon for an update. Yeah, sure, anytime. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us, Ben. It was a pleasure learning about Franchise Well and the global franchise industry. Now, for anyone listening to this podcast who would like to know more about Ben and Franchise Well, just click the button below. Eden Exchanges was brought to you by the team at Eden Exchange. In this episode, we spoke to Ben Letalian, who is the founder and CEO of Franchise Well. To find out more about Ben and Franchise Well, or to discover other episodes by Eden Exchanges, head to our website, www.edenexchange.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Eden Exchange for the latest updates, news, and opportunities in Australia's trusted business marketplace. Thanks for listening.